Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Jeffrey Shaw. And we're going to talk about messaging and we're going to talk about how to do the right kind of research so that you can come up with the right messaging to attract your ideal customers. You'll be surprised at some of the amazing things that we're going to be talking about. I hope you'll love it. By the way, want to reach me? I am at Stelzner on Instagram. You can also email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And if you're new to this podcast and you haven't yet hit that subscribe button, would you hit the button? I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. All right, let's transition over to this week's interview with Jeffrey Shaw. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Jeffrey Shaw. If you don't know who Jeff is, he is a brand message consultant who helps businesses attract their ideal customers. He's the author of the book, Lingo, and host of the Creative Warriors podcast. Jeff, welcome to the show. Mike, I'm so glad to be here with you. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to have you. Today, Jeff and I are going to explore how and why certain words in Lingo are powerful in our marketing messages. But before we go there, I'd love to hear your story. How'd you get into this messaging stuff? Start wherever you want to start, Jeff. Yeah, sure. Well, and I'm going to start way back. So I'm going to start because this is when I really learned the importance of of messaging. And uh, so when I got out of photography school, I was 20 years old and I returned to my hometown. Now, Mike, mind you, I grew up, well, I grew up in a town called Hopewell Junction. So 
pretty much everything you can imagine about my childhood is in the name, like mm. Hopewell Junction. Small town, couple hours north of New York City, real farm country at the time. And I went back to my hometown with aspirations of being a you know high-end portrait photographer, whatever high-end means at 20 years old. But after three years, I, I just was getting nowhere. I was failing. Uh, I knew something had to change. And a life-changing moment came in, came one day when a, a woman came in to ask about having me photograph her family. And I, of course, made my best pitch. And I stressed all the things that I, I would do as a photographer, stressing the importance of having photographs to hand down from generation to generation, the importance of preserving children's moments. When I was done, she she looked at me and she said, that's all great and all. But I don't have the luxury of worrying about my children's memories. I don't know how I'm paying my rent this month. Hmm. And I realized the power of that, right? I realized that in hindsight, I felt like I should have known better. This was my hometown, which was, you know, middle class, lower middle class, small town community. And the fact of the matter is I had always been promoting this message of long-term thinking, you know, having portraits to hand down generation to generation. I had been stressing you know, the importance of preserving life's moments. And I realized that if you're struggling to pay your rent, the last thing you're thinking about is anything long-term. Hmm. And that's, that's when I learned the importance of, of messaging in that I was saying the right things and the right to me, right? These were my values. These were things that I held as important. These are the reasons why I felt that I would be a high-end photographer. I was saying what was right to me to completely the wrong audience. There was nothing wrong with them. There was nothing wrong with me. It was just a mismatch saying the wrong thing, the right things to the wrong people. And that's when I realized messaging is imperative. So I made the decision then. Well, actually, I had a, I felt like I had a choice. I could either change who I was and what I believed in, or I could find the people who valued what I had to offer. And I chose that route. And that, that tends to be my recommendation to businesses. To me, it's how we define our ideal customers find ourselves and then discover who would love that. So I set about on a journey to unpack the affluent community because I decided that the only people that could afford what I had to offer were people that had the money to plan ahead. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was uh, people with discretionary income. Okay. So you're a photographer, but somewhere along the line, you become a messaging mm -hmm. person. So how did that transition <laughs> happen? So part organically and then part intentional. So organic in that I was successful, you know, years later, I became very successful as a photographer. So therefore the industry turned to me and put me on stages and asked me to teach and to, to show others. So it happened organically in that I ended up on stages. And then once I was on photography stages, other people started hearing my message and saw the value in it being much broader than the photography industry. So that got me speaking. Um, and literally, Mike, the story I just told you became the impetus for my book, Lingo, in uh. that 30 years later, I realized that that lesson of messaging not only was it important for businesses to understand, it was actually more important today which is how I ended up in brand messaging. Because today, in order to, to get anybody's attention, to be noticed by our ideal customers, we have to say a lot in very little time. And that's when I, to me, that's when messaging became brand messaging. So it was one thing to say the right things to the right people. Now, I wanted to help businesses say the right things to the right people in as few seconds as possible. And that all comes down to helping businesses create amazing brand messages. So what are you in the business of now? Are you still 
a photographer or what is it that you do? Yeah, very little. I do very little photography. Last year I did like half a dozen shoots compared to you know, 175 I used to do. So I've been pulling down the lever of my photography for years in order to make room for the speaking and the consulting work that I do. So my income today is primarily for, from brand message consulting. Uh, second to that is speaking, but they hover pretty close and they, they relate to one another. I speak, I get consulting gigs and vice versa. And uh, yeah, that's that's primarily how my days are spent. I have the podcast, of course, but that doesn't necessarily generate income as much as it generates interest and leads, right. uh, but very little photography. Okay. So now that we know a little bit about your story, about how you've gone from a person that makes things look good visually to someone who makes words sound good. Why? Talk to us a little bit. Why should everyone listening right now care about the message that they're conveying to the world? Oh gosh. Uh, you know, how could you not? Like, I mean, not, not to listen to me, but care about the, the messaging. I mean, it, this is what it comes down to. We have so little time to get people's attention today. And here's the thing, like I don't buy into the theory and it's the whole goldfish thing has been debunked. I don't buy into the theory that we humans have devolved to having less attention. I think the problem is most people don't do anything attention worthy through their branding and their marketing. The whole idea, you know, for the, I think for the past, I'd say maybe five years, we businesses have been focusing on standing out, but they've been standing out by being louder, more annoying, you know, crazy, crazy, diff, more different, right. right? But that doesn't work right now. Right. Because what happens is if that's your endeavor to stand out, I can almost guarantee is because I see it in businesses every day, they're standing out to too broad of an audience. And that doesn't really serve you. That's how businesses end up in this scenario, which is bought into by the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. They end up in this case where you know, they're literally 80% of their income is coming from 20% of their customers. As I travel the, the country speaking to companies or large audiences, I'll, I'll often ask how many people feel they're working exclusively with their ideal customers. Hardly any hands go up. Right. And then when I start asking for a percentage, the average percentage that a response I get is most businesses feel that about 30% of their customers are ideal, meaning, you know, the most profitable, easiest to work with. Uh, which is my criteria for ideal customer. It's not just the most profitable. They also need to be easy to work with. So they go through your systems. 30%. And that just isn't good enough. And we're not, we're not in a world where it's so noisy and it's hard to get people's attention. We want to make sure we're getting the attention of the specific audience we want to reach. And that's where brand messaging that's honed in, that speaks the lingo of your ideal customers, that's where that becomes imperative. So you're not standing out to a broad audience. You're standing out to the people that feel like you get them and that brings it into much more narrow. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that when our messaging is not fine-tuned appropriately, we're probably attracting the wrong kind of customer. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. I mean, I, I do a process I call, I refer to it as a lingo review process. So I give people the opportunity to fill out an application, a form, and then I review their website. And it's very intentional because I want to hear, you know, in written form, I want to hear what people think they're saying. Mm. And then I go to their website. So I read what they've written and I've read what business owners think they're saying. And then I go to their website and I can statistically say now, after reviewing hundreds of websites, that 98% of websites are not saying what people think they're saying, right? So they have a, you know, the business owner or the company may have an idea of their ideal customer. 
But when we start unpacking what the values are of that customer, with the lifestyle, the behavior, I go to their website. It's like, yeah, and none of that is being said. None of that is coming across. And it's 98% of the time. It's like they're reaching their hand into a pool of fish and they just randomly are pulling out whatever they can grab, right? I mean, (laughs) instead of the ideal. Right. And they don't think so, right? Because they think that because they're standing out that they've somehow narrowed it down or people have done buyer personas and avatars and they think they've narrowed it down. But in today's world, just standing out in itself is too broad. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you don't want to stand to everybody or just even a large group. You really want to stand out to the people that you resonate for. So if we can get our messaging right, then we can send a signal to those ideal customers that were for them and they're for us. And I'm guessing that's going to increase the likelihood we get more of those ideal customers. Is that correct? That's exactly it. So this is where I make the parallel to being a photographer. And to me, this is the root of how I got from there to here. Because honestly, Mike, it's really not any different for me. I can physically tell you, like when, I, when I'm when i on photo shoots and when I'm working with a company or a business for brand consulting, I physically feel the same. Like I get the same adrenaline rush and it's very similar. And here's where it's similar. So as a photographer, my role was to understand the subject, capture their essence, put it on display in the form of a portrait. Their family and friends and people that viewed that portrait felt a connection to the people in the portrait, Mm. right? That was my, you know, I often say my clients would call, would contact me and say they're looking for a family portrait. And I would hear them, but what I knew they really wanted, they wanted me to create something that stopped them in their tracks when they walked down the hallway or across their fireplace mantle and gave them a moment of connection to that portrait in that moment in time with their family or their kids, right? So that was my goal as a photographer. It's the same exact thing as a brand message consultant. My job is to help businesses understand the essence of their ideal customers, capture and brand messaging. Once you do, that brand message will swoop up everybody else of a similar ilk, you know, of a similar value system and which is guaranteed, you know, will be broad enough to build a successful business. The subtitle of your book, well, the title of your book is lingo and the subtitle is discover your ideal customers secret, secret language and make your business irresistible. So let's talk about how do we get at the language of our customers? Because at this point, a lot of people should be sold on the value of what we've been talking about, but they kind of want to know a little bit about the how. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this also goes back to, and the story is told in my book, um, and how I changed my business 30 plus years ago and how I now continue to work with businesses. And that is to understand, you know, their lingo, their secret language, uh, their two terms are kind of interchangeable, but I use the term secret language a lot because lingo to me is not a jargon. In the end, it is used in literal words that you need to use to capture their attention. But to truly understand the lingo of your ideal customers is to understand the unspoken essence of who they are. And we do that through five primary emotional triggers. Uh, And I I break this down in in the book and I teach it as as a step strategy. So those five emotional triggers, and by the way, I mean, I've there are many emotional triggers that you can get someone's attention, but these are the five that I, I find this most significant movement with. They are perspective. I'll actually go through all five of them, then we can unpack them deeper. Okay, but it's cool. perspective, familiarity, style, pricing psychology, and then the words. Right. The problem, Mike, is I, businesses historically have always been built backwards mm. because the way, particularly today, because there's such a content-rich world. The way businesses tend to be built is somebody has an idea, they build a business, they 
have a logo designed and a business card printed and they launch a website and they fill it up with words and messaging and then they spend years trying to hunt people down to fit them into the box they created. The, the right way to build a business is understand deeply your ideal customer, your ideal customer, not any customer, but the ideal customer really well, and then build all those marketing materials that's speaking their lingo and they're just drawn in. Perfect. Right? So let's talk about perspective. What do you mean sure. by perspective? You know, and, and by the way, these five steps have to be in order for that reason. That's why I put words at the end because everybody does it backwards. Perspective is the first step. It has to be the first step. You simply cannot resonate with anybody. You can't understand anybody, have empathy for them or trigger them emotionally or understand their lingo until you understand their perspective, how they see the world. I, I, you can gather from where I grew up is, like I said, middle class, lower middle class community. I ended up being the photographer for some of the most affluent families in the country. The way I was able to do that was because I understood their perspective. It's not where I came from. I didn't come from money by any stretch. But what I realized is that that didn't matter. I could serve and any business can serve anybody they want if they take the time to understand the perspective of their ideal customer. I needed to understand what their lifestyle was, what they valued. So I went to, for a few months, I went and studied, or I went to high-end brands, not so much to study the brand, but to study the behavior and how I felt if I were my ideal customer. What triggers me? What am I seeing? And that's what I mean by perspective, is like deeply stepping into, not a projection, not an assumption, but literally experience the life of your ideal customer, preferably having nothing to do with your business, but just how they live their life, where they go, where they hang out, what they value, what their behavior is, what's familiar to them, which will lead us into the next step. So let's, let's dig in on this a little bit. Like, Give me an example of something you discovered when you were, it, it can either be an example from your book or from your own life and experiences, but that helped you, helped you with this perspective thing. Like what did you, mm -hmm. let, let's like talk this out with an example so sure. people can wrap their brain around it. So several things. The example I give in the book, I talk about a day I went to Bergdorf Goodman. So for anybody that's not familiar with Bergdorf Goodman, Bergdorf Goodman is a one-of-a-kind exclusive department store, Fifth Avenue, New York City. So it's a high-end situation. So that was one of my – I tell that story. I go in there because I wanted to see what it would feel like. And for one – what I saw were a lot of designer names. Now at the time, my photography business was not in my name, it was in a made up name called Light Images. You know, sounded like good for a photographer. That changed, right? Because I realized, particularly for the lingo of the high end, brand identity and, and having a designer name had value, mm. right? Because that's what I saw, so I changed my business name to my name. I made, that to me was the beginning of personal branding. I made Jeffrey Shaw a brand name and actually followed suit. Now, this is the 80s. So I was paying a lot of attention to Ralph Lauren, right? right? Everybody knows the name now, but you know, in the 80s, he was kind of a bright Tommy Hilfiger, actually. I used to photograph his family. He was just breaking out. So it was a time when personal brand name had value and it, it set you apart. So that was one thing I learned. Another thing I learned was you know, just the actual use of words. So on the high end, you would never use the word discount. It means nothing to them. You could throw discounts at the high end and it is, does not motivate them to buy. But man, you throw an upgrade at them, they're all over it. Oh, interesting. So right? what do you mean by upgrade? 
it's the entire basis of airport lounges. Right? Ah, Why do, got you know, like the Admiral's Lounge and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. It's free food, free cheese, free water. Like it just, just upgrade them. Or I would do in my photography business, I would do an annual promotion where I would make my clients the offer to prepay. Now this idea actually came from Starbucks, believe it or not. Huh. Because back in the day, going back when Starbucks introduced the credit card that we're all now quite familiar with, but originally it wasn't thought of as a gift card. It was, it was like you preloaded it with money to buy your own drinks. It wasn't really given as a gift. And I was fascinated by that. I said, you know, here's this company, Starbucks coming along with higher end coffee than anybody else was used to paying. And they've now convinced customers to pay for it ahead of time before you drank the drink and there's no discount. Mm. I thought it was brilliant. So I took that idea and said, well, what's, what's the value in it? For one, it makes people feel cool. Like they're part of a club. It makes them feel a little more exclusive than all the other customers. So I took that idea and I offered my clients on an annual basis that they could prepay for a portrait session to be used anytime in the upcoming year. And they would pay several thousand dollars as a deposit. And I would upgrade them an additional 10%. So if they wanted to pay 5,000, I'd give them an extra 500 on their account. If they wanted to pay 10,000, I'd give them an extra thousand dollars on their account. They could get more prints or something. Is that the idea? Yeah, it was just an ad. It was an upgrade. I would upgrade their account. Uh, so it's an incentive for them. Instead of giving them a discount, you gave them a freebie, which in this case is right. more values of your service, right? Yeah. And actually the biggest upgrade, and this was the, the key point was, uh, we would do this every year in February. Also, knowing the lingo of my clientele, which were all Wall Streeters, they get their bonuses in February. Mm. So that's when they had m the most cash. So that's why I did the promotion then. Again, understanding the lifestyle of your ideal customers is speaking their lingo. So we did this in February. And, and part of the, the biggest hook was, hey, if you let me know you want to be photographed this year, I will and let me know what month I will contact you 10 weeks before to make sure you get the ideal appointment because I have an eight week waiting list. Hmm. So this way I guaranteed my best clients. Now here's the other key component of how that speaking someone's lingo is I was honoring my loyal customers, which is a part of the relationship essential that is when you're working with the high end, right. it's essential. You build relationships where so many businesses and certainly on the lower end, they're always throwing discounts at the new customers only. Right. That would be disastrous on the high end. So right. what, I, what I love about what you're saying with this first perspective thing is you did not assume you understood their perspective. You went to places that allowed you to experience what it's like to be them. And you took cues from that and you applied that to your business. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, like the biggest payoff is, you know, years later I became and still am an ongoing loyal customer of Bergdorf Goodman. Huh. Like I love the fact that I was this poor 23 year old who you know went to the store to learn how to speak the lingo of the affluent market. And the result of that was having a business successful enough that I became one of their customers. Very cool. That to me says it all. Awesome. So we start with perspective. And then mm -hmm. once we have that perspective, what's next? So familiarity is, I think, that one of the most powerful human emotions. Um, because what feels familiar to us, we are drawn to. I'll tell you a crazy scenario. And I, and I love when we're duped by our own uh, expertise, right? <laughs> but that's how powerful familiarity is. So when I moved to Miami, I was trying out a couple different neighborhoods and someone kept, people kept talking about this neighborhood in Miami called South of Fifth, which meant it was the area South of Fifth Street. Okay. So I went and checked this out 
And it was actually, it was in Miami beach, not downtown Miami. And I didn't really want to live in Miami beach. I love beaches, but I didn't really want the tourism of beach, but everybody could check out South of fifth. So I went there, checked out South of fifth, immediately fell in love. There's a park in the kind of the center of the the community that is just stunningly beautiful with 180 degree views of the, the ocean. And Smith and Walensky is a, a steakhouse and it's known in New York. I'm like, well, that's nice to have right here in the neighborhood, a steak, a Smith and Walensky steakhouse that I'm familiar with the quality of their food. And so I was all in and I go to uh, my new accountant because I moved into a different state and I had to get a new accountant. And I said to him, well, so much for saving money moving to Florida. It, it's just as expensive. My rent is the same as it was in Manhattan. And he said to me, he goes, well, you do know that you have chosen the neighborhood that was geared to attracting New York money. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> he says, did you not notice the park is modeled after Battery Park? And there's a Smith and Walensky, like the entire architectural design of that neighborhood was to attract New Yorkers with money. And I'm like, holy crap, was I duped. <laughs> did you end up buying? You did. Already. Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, I didn't buy, rented. Got I it. rented. And, and ultimately, on a personal note, I ended up not liking living on the beach. I moved to downtown Miami. But the point was like, I mean, I know this stuff, but the power of familiarity was so strong to me. I felt like I was at home. I was like, wow, this is exactly what I want. And that is a powerful thing for businesses to get to know about their ideal customers. Who are they already doing business with? What does that experience, what's the culture of their businesses they do business with? How, what feels are they, you know, like examples I like to use are grocery stores. Are you, is you're an ideal customer, do they go to Costco? Do they go to Publix? Do they go to Trader Joe's or do they go to Whole Foods? Mm -hmm. Without a doubt, we could all agree the vibe and what feels familiar in each of those brands is very different. Right. Costco feels entirely different than Whole Foods. If you can understand like, where is your ideal customer going, where are they shopping? And if they're B2B, that business has a culture, which you could also make that same comparison. But that's the power of familiarity is kind of unpacking what they're already experiencing, what feelings of familiarity are they already experiencing, and then recapture that in your brand message, brand image, and in the customer experience. And then they're in, like I said, in the same way I was hooked and didn't even know it, that's the experience your ideal customers have. Okay. This is... Part of me is wrestling a little bit with this because I get what you're saying about wanting to create something that is familiar to your ideal customers so that they feel like they belong. But how do you do this before you get to the words? Is this just research at this juncture? And what if your customers, you kind of mentioned B2B in there a little bit, like a lot of people are, who are B2B, they don't have that experience of physically walking into a community, right? Like, like B2C. So mm -hmm. how would you do that? I guess is what I'm struggling with a little bit. Yeah. So Let's talk about the B2B because I actually speak a lot at a lot of B2B events and that is a common challenge for them. They don't imagine that they can do some of the things, but that's part of my point. Like I, I think we need to break down the division a little bit between B2B and B2C. B2B tends to think that everything's different for them. Right. But at the end of the day, businesses are all run by humans and you could even, you know, if it's a business, if your ideal customer is another business, that business has a culture. That business and the business, whoever, whoever the decision maker is, has a personality, mm -hmm. right? So um, you, you can also, you can still look at it the same way. Now, I waver on wondering. Now, back, you know, when I learned all this, I had the opportunity to go to brick and mortar places such as Bergdorf Goodman. The internet wasn't even around, honestly. But I, I waver. I wonder 
whether today is it more challenging or easier. In some ways, I think it's easier to do this research because we have access to so much information on the internet. Like, where is your ideal customer? What blogs are they reading? What books are they interested in? What, you know, where are they spending their time? And it doesn't have to be time outside their home. Well, I also think because of video in particular, the things that we talk about and the things that we say, just like people are listening to us talk right now, they either are going to relate or not relate to what we're saying. And they maybe that's part of familiarity as, as well. It is. So a video clip I show in some of my, uh, and actually and usually in the B2B talks that I give because I, I want them to make this stretch. Oddly enough, it is a video of Taylor Swift and which always gets a chuckle right up front because it's the last thing business owners expect to see is a video clip from Taylor Swift. But she did something amazing a few years ago. And that was she and her, so I'm sure she had a whole team of people. They followed on social media her core fan base. And I think she chose about 100 of them to follow on social media to learn throughout a year's time everything about their life. And at the end of the year, she sent Christmas gifts Hmm. to those core fan base, that core fan base. And they were intimate details. Like in this video, you see a gift tag that says, congratulations on your acting gig. Hmm. I mean, when these girls received these gifts, can you imagine how blown away they were that a star as big as Taylor Swift took the time to understand not just their perspective, but the tiniest of details in their lives, right? That to me, I mean, that is lingo through and through. That is, you know, and, and again, knowing what's familiar. So I think to your point, like we can find out so much of what's familiar to people by even social media. What about surveying people too? (laughs) Yeah, you can. Now I always question the accuracy of surveys sometimes because people will give you the answer they think you want to hear. Or, you know, I think if you can kind of do it almost secretively and kind of get in there, like I said, I mean, you go through somebody's Facebook page and just find out where they're checking in to eat. It'll tell you a lot about the style of restaurants and their price point. Got it. Okay. So familiarity is kind of putting yourself in the position of your customers and asking yourself, what are the things that they share in common? Am I right? Or what are the things that are normal? Familiar yeah, to them? So okay. it, you also just brought up another really important aspect, I think, which is what they share in common. And th- this to me is a really fine line and a little tricky because You know, we don't want to stereotype or judge people and throw people in a single bucket. But the fact of the matter is there are similarities amongst large groups of people. I look at lingo as sort of like in the U.S., we speak the language of English, but throughout the country, there are various accents. Right. So, you know, what I know, for example, my clientele, my ideal customer were affluent families. There are such common denominators amongst that clientele. And there are nuances, like the way money is put on display in the Northeast is quiet and subdued versus a place like LA or Miami, where it's like, what I've got, I'm going to (laughs) show. And I literally would photograph differently because in New England, up in the Northeast, I would never, or even in the Hamptons, I would never photograph a family with the big house on the hill. But in California, I would. Right. So it affected how I photographed because I understood their lingo and they would, you know, again, a New England family would never send out portraits to their family members putting their wealth on display. But in Miami and L.A., that's the primary objective. So there's an understanding of who they are and there's nuances. So we're not throwing everybody in the same bucket, but you can hit a broad audience by understanding the commonalities. Cool. We've talked about perspective, familiarity. The third one is style. So style is the decision maker. And a lot of people kind of 
don't take it serious enough, but here's the importance of it. And then here's the example I like to give. If you imagine, if you've ever shopped at like a TJ Maxx or Nordstrom Rack or any place that it's kind of a discount place, but when you're shopping there, all the, the size, if you're looking for a medium shirt, all the medium shirts are in one section on a rack, so, right? So you're flipping through the hangers and what gets you to stop the style. Right. There's something about that shirt and, and you're likely to take it off the hanger and say, wow, this is so me. Right. There's something about that style that's speaking to you. And that is an important understanding to get people to stop in their tracks when it comes to getting them to get to your website or open an email is to understand what style resonates for your ideal customer that's going to cause them to stop in their tracks. That's how you get their attention. So that style is represented by brand voice, like, you know, degree of humor, maybe, or degree of formality versus casualness or storytelling uh, story. Yeah. Storytelling, even you know, right down to font and colors, because all of those give a feeling hmm. based on that style. Comedians do this really well, by the way. I, I love to watch comedians because comedians get the power of style because they have a very, you know, they, they have a, they have their own comedic style. Some, many comedians are really foul mouthed. That's not for everybody. Right. Right. But they're not, like none of us, we, they're not trying to appeal to anybody, nor should any of us. They're not trying to appeal to everybody. They know their audience that has the similar sense of humor. That's how I look at style is understanding the style that resonates for your ideal customer so you can stop them in their tracks. Again, brand voice, that's how you get people to open emails. It all comes down to subject line. Does that subject line capture them and feel like you're speaking to them in their style? I'm really interested in this fourth one, which is pricing psychology. Talk to me a little bit about that yeah. concept. I tell you, it was actually probably, you know, we spoke earlier about observations when I went to Bergdorf Goodman, and this was actually one of the most eye-opening because it was such a departure from what I was used to. And I often tell people that part of the reason why I'm able to do what I do as a brand message consultant is because I've lived life on opposite sides of many fences. <laughs> so, you know, having grown up lower middle class and then serving wealthy people, I can really see the contrast and there are definable differences. So for example, pricing psychology, the thing with pricing of any product, any service and any market is you want to price your products and services for how your ideal customer sees themselves in the world. Hmm. Because we have all chosen to not buy something because it was inexpensive and we there inexpensive for us. So we therefore perceived it as cheap, mm -hmm. right? Somebody else saw that very same price and it might even been too high for them. We see pricing as consumers. We see pricing based on how we see ourselves in the world. So you want to carefully position your pricing psychology to match your ideal customer. And when it's off, this is one of the biggest breaks in businesses is that when that's off, that's why you get people that you're trying to convince them what you have to offer is worth it and they don't see it. Or, you know, you find yourself in a situation where you thought you could afford something and suddenly it's a lot more expensive than you thought. I almost always blame that disconnect on the business because they didn't accurately portray to a degree their price point to make sure that the customers coming in have an idea that it represents who they are in the world. So to be more specific, on the high end, this is what I learned at Bergdorf Goodman, all the prices are rounded off. Uh, so there's no 97. No, nope, no 97. And it, it strikes me, Mike, this is what strikes me is how many people come to me for help in their businesses, either branding or coaching. And they complain that their customers are always nickel and diming. 
And I look at their pricing structure and I'm like, yes, and you have priced everything at 1997, 497, 997. I said, you're the one drawing attention to the fact that $3 matters. So why are you surprised people are nickel and diming you? Interesting. So if you're selling a higher end product to a higher end audience, you probably ought to just make it a thousand or two thousand instead of instead Round of nine ninety seven. Yeah. Round it off and keep it vague. I mean, when here's how I when people here's how vague I am because what I have to offer as a photographer is that high end. So people would contact me and say, you know, how much for your services? And I would ask them, how many homes do you have? <laughs> okay. And they would say three homes. That's like, well, then I would estimate about five about fifteen thousand because I find my clients invest about five thousand dollars per home. Huh. Right. So now I've put it right back. I said, it could be 10,000, it could be 5,000. I mean, I work on a minimum of 5,000. I said, you know, it's going to be minimally 5,000, but it could be anywhere between that and 15,000. It depends on how thoroughly you want to have portraits in each of your homes. But if you've told me you've had three homes, you're going to want portraits for all three homes. Very interesting. Very vague where now you go to Walmart, right? Walmart's pricing psychology is down to the 100th of a cent so that their cost conscious customers, which is their lingo, their cost conscious customers know that they're not paying more than 100 for the cent more than they have to. Okay. Let me ask you a question. This is kind of an interesting question. Let's say you sell a, a product that is, let's just take social media marketing world, which you've been to before. It's mm-hmm. not an inexpensive product. It's over a thousand dollars, but we do offer a payment plan. Is that considered bad pricing psychology? If we offer payments, because you don't know about it till you actually get to check out. You have an option to pay once or to pay two smaller payments that are slightly more expensive. Is that bad psychology or not necessarily? It's, it's not. It's okay. not because even the most affluent, you know, I think the-, the They'll go for a payment? <laughs> yeah. The assumption is, well, it depends. And I always, my clients always paid in full. Okay. So no matter how much they're spending, I got payment in full. But right. I, I had a very specific reason. I said, well, I'm not in a transactional business. Right. I said, so when I deliver your beautiful portraits, I don't want to talk money. Right. Like I don't want there to be a balance. Right. But I think in your case, as it does for a lot of online businesses, if you're you're breaking up in payment, it's just making it more accessible. And I also think, you know, yes, you're not the it's social media um, marketing world is not the the cheapest, but it's not extreme either. And it's a really good value. I have gone a couple times and it's really good value. So I think your ideal customer, if you will, your ideal attendee is like a lot of businesses. It might even be a little bit of a stretch, but it's not out of the ballpark. Got it. So when you offer a payment plan, you're just making it just a little easier. So it's a good over the fence, what I refer to as an over the fence technique. Got it. Which is our role as businesses. Like what do we have to do to just get somebody over the fence? Do you recommend testing out different pricing or do you recommend instead just kind of knowing who your audience is and what they can afford? Because I think a lot of us are probably underestimating our value. They're probably pricing too low is my guess. Yeah, almost always. I think all everything you just said is true. Almost always people are underestimating their value. And yes, you want to know your customers as quickly as, as much and deeply as you can. And you want to test it. You always want to test your theories, right? So to me, I look at all this research and diving in and is kind of testing your theories. Right. So I think it's well worth just, just testing it and seeing Perfect. what it works. And there are things you can, what I often say is if you don't have anybody complaining about your prices, you're too low. <laughs> That's really there good. There has to be a certain percentage of people that are objecting. Otherwise there's room to go higher. Okay. So at this point, we've got perspective from our customers by trying to understand their life. We've, we're understanding what they are and they're not familiar with. We're beginning to understand their style. We're beginning to 
grapple with their pricing psychology. Now we're finally to the point where we're talking about words. Talk yeah. to me about that. Yeah. So now is that you can actually apply, you know, it, it, once you've collected all this data, now you can start saying the right things to the right people in as short of a time as possible. And that's what's critical today. I'm kind of, I believe I'm just beginning to work on my second book. So I'm just hashing out the details, but I've lingo to me is a concept book. I mean, it is very actionable. There's five steps, but first needed for the work I do, I first needed to, if you will, sell the concept of lingo to a world that I don't think was thinking this way yet. Mm. And then I do teach in it. So now the next book is going to be a deeper dive, which is I, right now the working title is called First Page Impressions. Because what I have found as a result of putting my book Lingo out there two years ago, the result has been it literally created a position for me as a brand messaging consultant, because as a result of the book, people were coming to me and saying, love everything you're saying. Can you help my company? And the work I was doing came down to the homepage. It came down to creating incredible differences in retention and sales. I mean, there's a, a company I worked with uh, in the Midwest. Or I'll say this carefully. They're a bedding company, B-E-D-D-I-N-G, not as in horses, but they create comforters and pillows. Okay. And I worked with them and they saw a 33% increase in sales within months of launching the new website with the, the refined brand image. So what I found is that that homepage is everything. And, and there's several reasons why, and probably the most obvious reason, but somehow gets overlooked is the use of mobile devices. I mean, more than 70% of people visiting our marketing materials, particularly website, more than 70% are on mobile devices. The behavior on mobile devices is entirely different. And I don't know how this got skipped over because the technology became responsive, but marketers forgot to respond to the behavioral difference. And people on mobile devices don't switch pages. Mm -hmm. They tend to sit on the home page because it takes too long to load interior pages. And Mike, most companies have their juiciest and best messaging on the interior pages. They've treated the home page in the old style of like a gateway, hmm. right? Let me introduce myself. But on a mobile device, that home page is everything. And if, in fact, I'll take it a step further and say what I'm seeing and I believe is going to be more so in the future is every page on a website will be a home page because Take myself, for example, I am a consultant, I have a variety of services and I'm a speaker. So when someone inquires about speaking, I don't send them to jeffreyshaw.com. I send them to jeffreyshaw.com forward slash speaking. Right. So that speaking page is now the homepage. I don't want to confuse them by the general information on the homepage. I want them to get exactly where they need to go. So in the end, every page on a website is going to be a homepage. And the messaging on each page needs to be specific to the audience that you want to speak to and the services that you're offering. Now, I'm assuming as we're going through these stages, we're keeping track of repeating repetitive phrases and words that we're going to use back in our in our copy. Is that right? Yes. So again, things like, you know, you're going to use upgrade instead of discount. You're going to find hooks. This betting company, again, one thing that I unpacked and unearthed in working with them is that... Their bedding materials, pillows and comforters, are actually made from milkweed, huh. which is fascinating. So milkweed is a substitute for down. Now, several advantages of this. One is milkweed is hypoallergenic. So people that can't use down can use milkweed. Milkweed is a weed. It grows profusely in the Midwest, so there's more than enough of it available. It also is extremely breathable. 
So that's the solution to people that wake up with sweats and things like that. So anybody with allergies or, you know, gets too hot under a big fluffy comforter, milkweed is a better material. But here's the really cool thing unearthed while working with them is that milkweed is also the only material, the only plant that monarch butterflies lay eggs on. So milkweed is entirely responsible for whether monarch butterflies continue to exist and they're close to being the extinction list. Now, here's where this was important. They also, they wanted to broaden their market and they also saw, as many of us have seen, the money of our consumers is shifting to a younger demographic and they wanted to capture the more of the millennial market. Well, one thing we know about the millennial market is they're very mission conscious. So now we were able to change their brand messaging to include the mission of saving monarch butterflies. So now not only are you getting a great product, you're actually participating in saving the monarch butterflies, huh. right? So we brought this mission component into it and we, cha- I don't, to be honest, with you, I don't even remember what the, I don't think they really had messaging per se. Like a lot of websites, it just felt like a brochure. You would go there and these are your options. Right. But now we, um, so that when you go to their website, uh, the company is called Agalala. So it's agalalacomfort.com. Uh, the brand message is betting that breathes and saves butterflies. Huh? Absolutely fascinating. Right. So you're getting that right up front. And it is, this is the company, as I said, they, I can't even remember all the statistics, like the retention rate went up like 147% as how much time people spent on the website and sales increased by 33%. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jeff, Jeffrey Shaw, tell everybody where they can discover more about your book, more about you if they want to go deeper on the messaging special stuff that we've been talking about today. Sure. Well, the place to find everything out about me is jeffreyshaw.com. There's also a page there for the book. The book Lingo is also, it's available on Amazon or wherever you buy books. So jeffreyshaw.com is a great place to start. I also have my podcast, Creative Warriors. So that's a good, as podcasts are, great resource with free information. And, you know, you and I kicked around the idea and I'm going to toss it out there. I'd love to offer your audience an opportunity to take advantage of what I mentioned earlier, which is this website review. It's a incredibly fun process for me. And we'll see how this goes. I know you have a massive audience and people listening, so we'll we'll see how it goes, but I'm determined to handle it. So the URL for that is lingoreview.com. And this is an opportunity. I said, they'll quickly fill out a form. It's intentionally super brief because I want to get what's top of mind. And then I look at their website and I always pick up on the disconnect and I'll email back a few tips on how they can realign their messaging to match what they think they're saying of their and what they need to say to their ideal customer. Okay. So just so we're clear, if they go to, what was that URL again? Lingoreview.com. If you go to lingoreview.com, is there a spot in there so they'll know they can indicate that they heard you on the show or will you not necessarily know? Currently, there isn't a spot where I know, but there are. Well, if you see a huge surge, if you see a huge surge after this podcast comes out, what what Jeff is saying is that if you fill out the form, he will go and look at your website and give you some tips on how you can better uh, position your messaging so you can be more successful. That's what I'm hearing you say. Is that right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's, awesome. I want them to, to work more with their ideal customers and I, I awesome. want to help them with that. He doesn't have any idea <laughs> how many of you might take him up on this offer, but definitely go check it out and get his book. I've got a copy of it in front of me called Lingo. Jeffrey Shaw, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insights with us. It was awesome. Hey, Mike, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. If there was anything we mentioned in today's episode, we take all the notes for you. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash 394. If you're new, hit that subscribe button. 
This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.